Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. Together, we're going to explore lessons to help us live well. Let the learning begin. In this episode, I chat with Dr. Christy Goodwin. Dr. Christy is on a mission to help parents, professionals, and children tame their tech habits. Christy is a speaker, author, and media commentator fascinated by how our always switched on digital culture is compromising our well-being, performance, and relationships. In this conversation, Christy and I explore how our digital load has increased, the impact of infobesity on our well-being, practical ways to take control of our digital lives, and Christy shares her manifesto in a way to help us move forward in this digital world. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Christy Goodwin. Christy, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Great to be here, Meg. I am so excited to share your knowledge, your story, and your manifesto about digital wellbeing and why it's the topic of our time and we really need to tackle it. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. And again, um, love sharing this information, ironically, in a digital platform, um, but I think it's a topic we all need to address. I often say none of us are immune to the digital pool. Technology is here to stay, whether we love it or loathe it. Um, it's an integral part of our lives, our students' lives. So we really need how know how to harness its potential, but also mitigate its potential pitfall, shall I say. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're all feeling that pull to technology at the moment. Mm -hmm. I know for myself, I've been monitoring my screen time and I can see on the calendar and just what I've been doing. I'm like, oh, I can see how my day's been going based on how much I've been using it because I've noticed that I use it as a bit of an escape from reality at times. Some of it's really productive and some of it's trying to just manage all of these situations that we've got going on. And I've been working really hard to include some of your strategies and it's making such a difference. That's why I'm so excited to share your wisdom with us today. So could you tell us, how did you get so interested in digital wellbeing? Well, this is probably not the answer you're expecting. Um, I fell into this work purely by accident. A series of serendipitous events led me to um, study digital well-being and digital distraction. So I had been a teacher um, for 14 years in early childhood and primary um, education, and then I became an academic, and my research looked at the impact technology was having on children and adolescents. So I studied neuroscience and psychology and the intersection with technology and looked at how our students' digital habits and use of technology was impacting on their brains. Um, so drawing on um, those interesting and diverse fields. Um, and then I um, I started speaking um, to schools um, about the use of uh, tablet devices. My um, PhD was published just as the BYOD program was being rolled out in many schools. And a lot of schools came and said, look, Christy, our parents are really struggling with screen time. Can you come in and talk to them about the impact technology is having on the developing brain and body? And I started doing that for quite a while. Um, And then it was at the end of those parent sessions that parents from the audience would come up and say, but Christy, what you spoke about, I know it was for my children or my screenager, um, but a lot of what you shared was pertinent to me. Could you come and speak to my corporate team? You know, we're distracted and we're digitally dependent and it's impacting our well-being. 
And so I started to examine the role that technology is having in adults. But the the moment that really crystallised it for me was I had been in Singapore delivering a keynote for Apple talking about children's use of technology and had flown back to Sydney um, and did what most people do at the baggage terminal and pulled out my phone and saw that during the flight home um, I'd had, I think it was 77 um, emails. So I thought I'll triage my inbox in the taxi ride home, um, which should have been roughly 45 minutes to an hour got in the taxi and fell asleep. Uh, So when I got home, my middle son at the time, who who we'd had two nights apart, which was the longest we'd ever had apart, decided that he was going to have extra mummy cuddles that day. So I um, had ambitiously planned to do a conference call during his expected nap time. So opened the lid on my laptop um, to send an email to cancel the conference call because I knew I was going to have extra cuddles with Billy that day. There was no way he was having a nap. And that email icon, you know, that awful red bubble that declares how many unread emails or messages or Teams or Slack notifications you have, it had blown out from 77 to I think it was 148. It was definitely three digits. And even though I'd opened the lid just to send one email, that red notification drove me to go and triage the avalanche of emails in my inbox. And whilst I became digitally distracted, um, Billy, who was two at the time, no, he was about 15 months. Um, Billy climbed on top of the lounge next to where I was sitting and he fell from the top of the lounge face first onto the ground and split his face open, requiring urgent hospitalisation. And um, I still get emotional every time I share this story. It really made me realise just how distracted and dependent we had become. You know, I'm, I'm someone who's supposed to be an expert in this field and I'm not immune to that, that digital pull and distraction. So that was a catalyst for me to really start to explore what is it about the online world that draws us in? Why do we all go down the digital rabbit hole? You know, we go to send one email or we go to look for one lesson plan and before you know it, six hyperlinks later, you are buying a brand new pair of shoes online. (laughs) Or you say, I'm just going to watch one episode of Netflix and before you know it, you've binge-watched a whole series. So I just wanted to really look at the neuroscience um, and psychology behind our digital habits and behaviours, knowing that technology is here to stay. So that's the long-winded answer. It really was those serendipitous events that led me here. Um, So, yeah, I speak to to students, to teachers and health professionals and corporate professionals about how technology is impacting us. I often say I decode the neurobiology of peak performance in the digital age. You certainly do because you have helped me so, so much trying to win the battle against the forces of disorder. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great analogy. In which um, digital is, and I'm sure so many people listening can feel that, yes, I feel that pull, Mm. I feel that distraction. I tell myself I'm not going to look at my phone. Next thing you know, the phone's in my hand and I'm scrolling. And it is this urge and this sense that, can take over us at times. So I'd love you to explain for us how much our digital load has increased in this last 18 months. Yeah, it has. I think most people intuitively know we are using technology more than we ever have. And this is integral. You know, I couldn't have imagined managing remote learning. I have three sons. (laughs) I couldn't have imagined doing remote learning without digital devices. As someone trying to also simultaneously work, I couldn't imagine not having digital technologies to entertain and (laughs) distract my children. So um, I think all of us have experienced this increase in our digital load, both professionally 
but also personally. The online world has become our conduit. It's our conduit for connection. It's our conduit for work. It's our conduit for learning. Um, and so it has become really important. Um, but we really do have quite compelling data that tells us that most adults, um, especially for our knowledge workers, their digital load has increased exponentially. Microsoft during the pandemic actually tracked um, 30,000 of their global users and looked at the data in terms of their usage habits. And what they found um, was quite staggering. Uh, we've seen a 148% increase in virtual meetings. Uh, meetings, virtual meetings are now 10 minutes longer than what they were at the start of the pandemic. Uh, we have seen a 45% increase in chat communication. So Teams or Slack or some teams are actually using WhatsApp. The scary statistic there is that 42% of these are happening outside regular work hours. So we are seeing more and more use of technology. We know the average um, knowledge worker sends and receives um, roughly 126 emails per day. The problem is, I call this infobesity. We have constantly got information being thrust at us, alerts, notifications, pings, emails, calendar alerts. And the problem is our brain we have these ancient Paleolithic brains. We have brains that were designed to go and forage and hunt and seek information at a pace, at a time that suited us. But now the digital cadence that we've been thrust into where information is just constantly being um, imposed on us is incongruent with how our brain operates. And so this is why many of us are feeling overloaded. There's, you know, constant um, digital bombardment happening and our brain isn't biologically wired to cope with that. Um, so we have these ancient um, paleolithic, paleolithic brains trying to operate in this digital landscape. And this is why many of us revert to multitasking. You know, we see, oh, hang on, there's so much happening. I'm going to be in my team's meeting with my colleagues, but at the same time, I'll triage my inbox. I'll mark two pieces of student work online um, and I'll quickly respond to the, the parent WhatsApp group I'm part of as well. And this is so detrimental to not only our well-being, but also our productivity as well. But this has become almost the accepted norm for many of us, just living in a perpetual state um, of distraction. Oh, absolutely. And that term infobesity really lands with me because I feel yeah. like that's the experience. The old days used to go to Smorgies or Sizzler. Now it's yeah. this digital buffet of just constant information overload. Yeah. And, and it makes sense stresses, we weren't designed for that. No, and it stresses our brain. And I often use your, your analogy with Sizzler made me think of the, <laughs> I often call the online world a sensory smorgasbord. And it is. There is so much vying for our attention. There are things to tap up, tap on or at. There are animations. There are flashing icons. You know, the fact your notification bubble is red is, is has been intentionally designed to be a trigger to instigate urgency and importance. The fact that your alerts will repeatedly vibrate and come to you triggers a sense of urgency and importance. And so we are really just, it's not to say technology is bad, but we're not using it in ways that are congruent with how our brain and body are biologically designed. Then putting it in a, a it's a poor pun, um, but we're not working with our wiring. Um, the way our brains and bodies were hardwired to operate isn't the way that we're using technology. And that's why I think many of us are experiencing digital fatigue, uh, digital burnout, um, and why we're in this perpetual state of distraction and busyness. 
I think. Mm. It's just so alluring and so seductive because you know that there's some parts of it that's good, but there's also that part of you that just gorges. So trying to find a balance, you know, that's that challenge for us. So I'd love for you to share with us what are the impacts that we're experiencing because of this digital smorgasbord that we're facing? We know that our digital habits, both for adults and for adolescents and children, are impacting our physical health, um, our mental well-being, and also our capacity to focus and pay attention. In terms of our well-being, um, what's really happening, and I think the area that's really important for us to look at with technology is that it's not necessarily, some aspects can be a direct causal impact that technology is having. So, for example, we know increasing rates of myopia are being documented. So, myopia is nearsightedness. We're seeing this in children, adolescents and adults. And whilst we initially thought it was from looking at screens close distance, what we're now recognising is that it may in fact be what screen time is displacing. We know that when we're on our devices, it means we are often not getting enough time in natural sunlight. And when we are outside that we don't yet know, is it the natural sunlight, so the vitamin D that helps elongate our eyes and helps offset myopic progression? Or is it that when we are outside, we're actually not looking at things close distance, like our eyes have to naturally look at things further away? We don't yet know. What we know for children, though, is that they need at least two hours in natural sunlight a day. Um, doesn't have to be a two-hour block, but accumulated throughout the day, at least two hours of natural sunlight to help offset this myopic progression. So really simple, practical things we can do um, to offset it, getting our green time to counteract our screen time. So the thing I think that's really happening that's impacting our well-being is that our digital habits are eroding some of our biological buffers that helped to counteract our stress. And the three big levers that I think particularly that explain the impact of um, technology on our mental health is that our digital habits are impacting our sleep, both the quality and quantity of our sleep. Um, And we know that poor sleep outcomes um, or poor sleep quality is associated with poor mental and physical health outcomes. The second biological buffer that our screen habits have impacted are our movement levels. We have become more sedentary than ever. And we know that when we are physically active, our brain is making all of the neurotransmitters that help us feel good. Dopamine, serotonin, we make endocannabinoids, we make BDNFs, which are like fertilizers in the brain that help us focus. But when we are sitting for prolonged periods of time, we don't get that. The third thing, so sleep, movement, the third thing that's really being impacted by our digital habits is human connection. Yes, the online world is a great complementary tool for us to connect. You know, I I couldn't have imagined enduring lockdown and not being able to chat to girlfriends or do my book club virtually. Like, it is a great supplementary (laughs) offering, but nothing beats real interpersonal communication and our digital habits are impacting that. Um, we know that we our, our communication changes even if we just see our phone, even if it's on silent and face down. We know uh, a study from the University of Virginia told us that our cognitive performance drops by around 10% when we can just see our phone. Put simply, it makes us 10% dumber. Um, <laughs> but so many of us are allowing the digital intruder to impact on our relationships, you know, we're seeing it with, with parents missing those micro moments of connection with their kids because 
they're at swimming lessons and they're triaging their inbox or replying to the WhatsApp group messages that have bombarded their, their notifications in the day and their child does a tumble turd and looks up to give mum or dad the wink or the thumbs up and mum and dad are digitally distracted. So I think it's impacting those three things in a really profound way that's in turn impacting our, our well-being. Oh, absolutely. Everything that you say makes complete sense. And I know what, when I've got the boys outside, I, I in my head, I'm thinking, Dr. Chris, to be wrapped. Like we've had our screen time. <laughs> no, we're out getting our green time. Green time. And this, the importance for the eyes, you know, to be out mm. in natural sunlight, for our bodies to be out feeling the world, to feel wind on our face and experiencing life and getting out and about. Yeah, and really um, a study has been replicated several times that tells us that we need just 40 seconds in natural sunlight, so in, in nature, to reduce our cortisol levels, our stress levels. That is just so simple to implement, you know, just going outside, obviously longer than 40 seconds would be great, but at a bare minimum, when you are feeling like elevated stress building up, and we know, we colloquially refer to it as techno stress. Um, we've got studies that tell us that when we go into our inboxes, we actually hold our breath. We dump a whole lot of cortisol, our heart rate accelerates, they call it email apnea. <laughs> so we are in this heightened stress state often throughout the day and we've just become oblivious to it. So again, 40 seconds in nature to reduce that cortisol, it makes such a difference. Oh, it so does. And sharing about that apnea, I can actually notice that I do that. I notice yeah. that I do that, that, that hold my breath. Like do. What's, what's to come? What is going to be there? What am I going to have to deal with? And something I'd love for you to share with the listeners is a story you told me a few weeks ago about a mother and her daughter. And the mm. daughter, daughter was asking how much you got paid an hour. Could you please share that story with us? Yes. And I share this story with the the important clarification that this is not to induce I call it techno guilt or techno shame um, I live by Mayor Angelo's saying that when you know better you do better um, and so a mum was sharing with me that her daughter had come home from school and she said mum mum how much do you earn per hour and the mum thought that was a very strange question for her daughter to be asking her and she said look sweetie I earn a salary I'd need to do some calculations but I'll get back to you with my hourly rate and as she's tucking her daughter into bed that night, she said, look, sweetie, I did some calculations and this is how much I earn per hour. Now, her mum had thought that she was, you know, career-oriented and asking questions in that vein and the wind was taken out of her sails when her daughter replied and said, her mum said, why did you ask? And her daughter turned and said to her, because I'd like to buy an hour of your time without your phone. And... I don't think I, I share this often with parents and with corporate teams. There's not a person that doesn't respond to that. Um, if we don't use technology intentionally and put what I call guardrails around it or borders and boundaries, technology controls us. And the most important non-renewable resources that all of us have are our time and our attention. And the online world has been designed to hijack, to hold and divert your time and your attention. Um, so we have to use the technology, not the other way around where the technology uses and controls us. Absolutely. And that story really highlights what we're here today to talk about is how do we manage this digital distraction? How can we become in the driver's seat and take control? Mm. And this is where you absolutely shine because the information that you share is evidence-based, but for me what's more important is it's practical and you can yeah. apply straight away and it's 
you know, reality, the context that we're yeah. living in, digital is really helpful at times. So yeah. how can we manage it in a way that's going to help us feel good and function well? Yes. So I love what you say that we have to um, take control of technology, not be a slave to the screen. And I often say the basics work if you work the basics. Doesn't mean it's always easy. Um, and we know that technology has been designed um, to draw us in. Um, you know, one of the reasons we can't stop watching Netflix or our kids throw techno tantrums when we take them off YouTube or off Fortnite is because when we're online, um, one of the clever techniques they use, it's called the state of insufficiency. And it means in the online world, it is a bottomless bowl. There's no stopping cues. There's no endpoint. You never feel done. There's always another level, another app, another email, um, a, another YouTube clip you could watch, another Netflix series you could roll into. And so we never feel that we are done. Um, so what we have to do in that instance, a really simple strategy for all of us is to disable the autoplay feature. Netflix, Stan, all the streaming services, YouTube made a couple of years ago the decision to make the autoplay feature the default setting. Um, now you have to disable it so that videos don't roll into one another. I think the thing we all need to do, and I, I say this, I think there's two levels to this. The first level and the more macro level, um, I think we need schools, we need organisations to articulate their digital guardrails to clearly delineate what are the digital borders and boundaries that we have, you know. What happens when you get a parent emailing you at half past 11 at night? What's an acceptable email response rate? Um, when you've got students sending you online messages late at night, uh, when you are in charge of casual teachers and you're receiving text messages at 5.30 in the morning declaring your sudden illness, um, what are the, the boundaries, the digital norms and behaviours that we're putting in place at an organisational level so we feel like we have the right to disconnect. I think if we don't put parameters in place, I think, and we're beginning to see it already in Victoria with the Victorian police force, um, instigating legislation around the right to disconnect. So we need to articulate those parameters around how we use technology, not your, not your tech policy. It has to be more specific and granular than that. The second level below that is more at an individual level. What borders and boundaries can I put in place so that I can use technology? I'm not about digital amputation. I think that's completely unhelpful advice. But what can I put in place so I'm not constantly or incessantly distracted by technology? For example, can you activate do not disturb mode? When you need to be marking student work, when you are writing up an IEP for one of your students, um, can you activate do not disturb mode so you're not constantly flicking between tasks? Um, if you want to stop using social media less, can you turn it to grayscale? I will vouch that Instagram is very boring in black and white. Um, and it's a really simple thing to Google. Look up your phone and how do I turn it to grayscale? Um, disable your notifications. You really don't need to know what your sister-in-law ate for breakfast um, on, on whatever platform, Instagram or whatever she's using. The other thing with your notifications, batch or bundle them. Most of the time now you can choose on email or social media or your news or your YouTube notifications or Slack or Teams when they come to you. So you might like to batch them at times where you are going to have the opportunity to, to triage them. Um, some other really simple things. If you 
um, are working in a team environment, saying to people, call me. Instead of sending me an email or a message, call me. And I have done this with some clients recently, um, especially at night. I tell them I will not check my emails again until about 10 a.m. the next day. If something warrants my urgent attention, here is my mobile phone number. Please give me a call. I'm yet to have a call off anyone. Um, so can we come up with, you know, an open hours policy? So you're going to be in a Zoom room or a Teams room at a set time. And if people have got questions, they can come to you and ask you them at that, that time rather than just firing off constant messages. Um, so I think, yeah, simple things like that, not e nibbling on our inbox, you know, having set times of the day where we will check emails. Have an autoresponder on your emails when you won't be checking them frequently. So, for example, a lot of teachers, I think, could very easily turn on their out-of-office reply so that when they're getting the barrage of e emails throughout the day and feeling pressure to respond at morning tea or in their lunchtime, which I know they all do because they're not in the staff room, you could have an auto-reply saying that you will respond at 3 p.m. If something warrants an urgent response, here is the, the, the school office number and that's how you will get an urgent reply. Um, so I think just simple strategies that we can put in place to tame technology. Otherwise, it bleeds into every part of our life. It sure does. It absolutely can take over everything. It's kind of like my children's toys. If it doesn't have <laughs> an area, I feel like all of a sudden I'm everywhere I look, there's a toy. And something that I'd love to share with listeners is from listening to your work, I've got really clear boundaries now and it's made a difference. And what I've done is I've paired it with normal things that I do in the day. Mm. And so in the morning, I don't use social media or check emails, any of that scrolling until after I've exercised. Love and in it. the evening, I don't do it once I've showered or had a bath. So that's like mm. my signpost that my morning and my evening, I've got a bit of that borders and boundaries from your inspiration. And as you were talking, what came to mind for me is this is something that families can sit down and think about yes. as a family how do we sit when it comes to technology? What are our boundaries? If that's at yep. dinner time, if that's how much we do of things and bringing back your point earlier, it's not so much about digital, it's about what it's displacing. Yes. You know, yeah. so thinking about that. Yeah, and something that works really well for families is I call it have a landing zone, have a nominated set spot in the house where the 12 iPads, 15 smartphones, 18 laptops all go as a, a charging station, not only to keep devices out of bedrooms, because we know, and I'm preaching to the converted when I'm talking to educators here, most cyberbullying, most online predatory behaviour happens at night, not just because of unsupervised access, but because the way the brain works at night, the prefrontal cortex that would normally help young people make good decisions, it turns off and their limbic brain, their emotional hub fires up and it's just a recipe for disaster. So having a nominated spot where everybody puts their devices when you've got your digital curfew um, and you can, as parents or, or caregivers, do the head count um, and check that all 28 devices are there and, and charging, but something as simple as that can make a really big impact. Um, you know, if your phone is going to come into the bedroom with you, because I know this is a really hard habit for lots of us to break, make sure that it's on silent. We know from research from Flinders University tells us that 20% of Australians are being woken up throughout the night because of alerts and notifications. 20%, one in five of us are being regularly woken up. Um, so airplane mode or do not disturb mode, 
um, and also put it out of your line of sight. Just rolling over to get a glass of water or go to the bathroom and you see it, it can be a psychological trigger. You know, did that parent write back to that email? Did my colleague send through that PDF that I urgently needed? Has my head of school responded to that tricky email I forwarded them? So simple things like that can really make a big difference to our well-being. Oh, absolutely. And it's really becoming conscious, isn't it? It's becoming Mm. conscious about the way that we're using it and asking the question that is this helpful or is this potentially harmful and taking me down this vortex of digital? Yeah, and I think so many of us have just become swept up in technology. We haven't ever paused to critically examine the role that it places and it's only, you know, that unfortunate situation I had with my son Billy um, really was a catalyst for me to say hang on your digital behaviors are really in the unhealthy territory here you need to do something about it that could have been a far more serious accident and sadly um, you know we have got data saying we are seeing um, childhood accidents Um, doctors emergency doctors have reported that they have seen a very concerning increase in children presenting to emergency departments with playground injuries. They've got two theories. One theory is that kids aren't outside playing enough because they're on screen, so they don't have the the physical skills and dexterity to manage playgrounds as effectively. But another theory, and I'll let your listeners figure out which camp they think they might believe, is parental digital distraction, parents that aren't supervising kids because they are tapping, swiping and pinching um, on Absolutely. their Absolutely. And I can, so I'm the first one to put my hand up and say that I have definitely caught myself and thought, gosh, I'm lucky that nothing's happened because I did just go to send a text message to a friend yep. and then I was down the vortex and then I put yep. the phone down and then I realised yep. I didn't send the text message to the friend. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's so easy. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, this is just a, this is guilting parents and this is unhelpful advice. You know, my mum read magazines and books when I grew up at swimming lessons. I don't doubt that for a moment. I, I also argue that that's not a comparable experience. And the reason that reading a book or a magazine is nowhere near as compelling and distracting, I think the two reasons, one is that book or magazine had an endpoint. There was a back cover, a final paragraph. There was not this constant state of insufficiency. Like you just never are done. It is that 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 bottomless bowl. The second thing that I'm going to suggest makes them so qualitatively different experiences is that even if you were reading a novel that you just loved, you're engrossed and enraptured in it, it is nowhere near as personalised and as precise as the curated content that comes into your digital device. The Google recommendation algorithm means that every single post that happens to come into our Instagram feed or what posts get pushed into our LinkedIn feed or what comes into our news sites is based on that recommendation algorithm. So when it is so curated and tailored, it's so hard to switch it off. Um, So again, you know, when you do go to the park and you don't have, you know, an urgent situation, can it go in the car? Can it stay in the glove box in the car? Can it leave, you know, in the back of the boot in the car? Not for the whole day, um, but for that pocket of time where you do want to be present because um, it is so easy for our attention to be diverted. And that is such a good strategy. I know for myself that I've got a spot now where I'm when I'm with the boys and I'm in mum mode, Yes, to put the phone away, like out of sight, out of mind, mm. like literally put it out. 
And I do have these thoughts just every now and then that in the future, we might look back on this time and think, what were we thinking? We had phones everywhere. Um, kind of like I look back now at smoking, thought you used to smoke in hospitals, in aeroplanes, yes. in offices. Are we going to look back in 20 years' time and think, what were we thinking? Yeah. I think we are, and I'm already, I'll share the link. You have, you've probably seen it. There was a brilliant TED Talk by a little girl who was seven recently, um, and she basically used neuroscience to explain what we know. Neuroscience conclusively tells us that babies and toddlers need serve and return ping pong interaction with caregivers for the optimal development. So they say gah and mum and dad say ooh and backwards and forwards conversation. Really, really important for brain development in, in little kids. What we are beginning to see is that the digital intruder is interfering with those parent caregiver child interactions Um, i'm doing work with lactation consultants who are saying they're seeing the the physical impediment of a phone when a baby is fed and it doesn't matter if they're bottle or breastfed they engage in a behavior called facial mapping and we've done studies that actually show what's happening in a baby's brain when they are facial mapping and regions of the brain light up in babies in exactly the same way as adults do when we look at faces so really really important that they have that Unfortunately, now a lot of young children are being fed with a, a phone, um, the parent or caregiver using a phone. And so the kids sometimes have a physical impediment to actually seeing the face. Or if the phone isn't an impediment, the parents are often looking at the device. And what we are seeing, you may be familiar with this, the still face experiment. We are concerned we're replicating that in a digital context. Um, so, so many facets, I think. And, you know, I'll share this. I don't share this story very often. I do have permission to share it. I have a friend who's working in palliative care and she unfortunately works with people who are in the younger stages of being in, sorry, younger ages of being in palliative care. A few weeks ago, she was telling me, I get emotional sharing this story, how a young young man um, in his early 50s um, was at the final stages of his life and she was talking to him um, about his life and he started talking to her about his regrets. And one of his chief regrets was that he wished he hadn't spent so much time on email and on his device. He said, I missed so much with my kids. And I said to my friend, that is just, that's heartbreaking to hear. And she said, it's not. She said, the, the real tragedy is this is not a solo story. She said, I am hearing this story more and more from people who are regretting that 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 they, these powerful devices have robbed them of their time and their attention. Um, so we really have to control them, otherwise they'll control us. Mm, absolutely. And this is why we need you. <laughs> Dr. Christy Goodwin is on a mission to allow people the space to think about their technology yeah. use and it's not about shame or blame it's just about thinking about it being mindful about it and putting strategies into place and creating mm. more headspace for the things that we love off digital you know yes. and so I'd love for you to share with us your manifesto when it okay. comes to well-being because you recently put one out and I just wanted to cheer and cry and everything and I Aww. think it's I think it's the message of our time. We really need to think about this seriously. Okay. I'm going to try and get through this without crying. I have delivered this um, <laughs> on a couple of keynotes recently and have ended up in tears. So it's really close to home. So Me I'm too. Try. I'll try not to. I'll, try, I I'll keep the, it together the dramatic, for you. 
I don't know if you're going to add it to the the recording, but I some when there's the dramatic music playing in the background, and I've made a video or I had a video made that matches what I'm talking about. It gets me every time. So I'm. I'll link that. I'll, I'll link that to this. I'll link that to this episode so they can listen to that okay. version. So here we go. All right. There is a war raging on that you might not be aware of. It's the battle of the 21st century between you and technology. There is a war raging on, and you might be losing. So many memories to make, so many milestones to celebrate, but you're constantly being pulled away by the never-ending thumb scrolling, the attention-grabbing sound of new notifications and the little red numbers on your screen begging to be seen. They say that technology is a helpful servant but a dangerous master. Now more than ever, people are tethered to it and joy, happiness and productivity are compromised but it's not your fault. Your brain is wired to enjoy that rush of dopamine and the hit of adrenaline with every ping, scroll and interaction. Your brain is being rewarded all in a digital minute. Long-term gratification is a thing of the past. Attention is the most important resource that you have. Own it. Protect it at all costs. But what if I told you that you could win and own your own attention, and use it to focus on the things that really mattered. So you can be present where you are, where you matter. You are in your power, and no technology can pull you away from your kids, from your partner, from the important work before you. What if I told you that you can be in control of your attention, that you can win the war between you and technology, so you can reposition yourself no longer a slave to the screen, but a master of it. And you can take back your joy, happiness and productivity. I'm Dr. Christy Goodwin, and I'm here to decode the neurobiology of peak performance so that you can thrive in the digital world. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I did it. (laughs) Yeah, you did it. And I think that is just so important. Mm. Take a breath. Yeah. Think about the way that we're using technology and are there some things that we can do to tweak it so we can enjoy life off the screen just like we enjoy it on it. So to wrap things up today, I would love you to um, finish these four sentences. Are you keen to have a go? I'll have a go. <laughs> so I am inspired by? Brene Brown. She combines science and story in the most phenomenal way. So when I grow up, I want to be Brené. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure everybody got a boost when we saw that her new book's out in November. So, yes. you know, that we need a bit of a boost at the moment. Um, when life feels hard. I turn off my phone. <laughs> I, I escape from the online world. Um, sometimes I lose uh, my phone. <laughs> So my poor mum will often be ringing my husband saying, has Christy lost her phone? (laughs) So true. Love that one. Unplug. Uh, An underrated skill is? Boredom. Being idle with your thoughts. We fill every white space we have now with technology. We really do. Like you look at bus stops when we wait at the doctor's surgery, when you go in an elevator, um, when you stand at the, the shopping centre in the, the checkout queue, every bit of white space is now filled with these devices. Mm, 
So true. And I am looking forward to school returning. (laughs) (laughs) I've got three children, only two of which I'm homeschooling. The toddler has escaped that. Um, But the the thing it has really highlighted to me, the other day I was trying when I was hanging the washing out, um, I was trying to say, why am I finding remote learning so challenging? I used to be a teacher at one point. I thought I would nail this. Um, either I've lost my pedagogical skill set or <laughs> just not cut out for this. Um, but the thing I, I nailed and the reason I think I've found it so incredibly challenging is because when I am trying to homeschool and I'm trying to work and look after a toddler simultaneously, I'm multitasking. And multitasking is so detrimental to our focus. It's so detrimental to our performance and it's really detrimental to our um, stress. So if I can get rid of one of those things, not get rid of my children, I didn't mean that at all. (laughs) They can happily go back to school where they also want to be. Um, That's what I'm looking for. Absolutely. And I'm sure all of us are looking forward to getting some kind of predictability back in our lives. Christy, thank you so much for sharing your story, your wisdom and your manifesto with us. It is such important work and keep shining. My pleasure. Lovely to chat. Thank you. Bye. Bye. What an incredible conversation. I'm sure this has really got you thinking about your relationship with digital devices. Is your relationship with digital helping you or potentially harming you? Is it stopping you from meaningful connection? Is it impacting your sleep? Is it impacting your exercise? Is it stopping you from getting outside and experiencing nature? Because as Dr. Christie said, technology is not bad. We love technology. That is how I've created this podcast. And yet the issues come when it displaces other important things in our life. So take a moment to really think about it, to step back and have a look at your relationship with digital devices. Are you happy with it? Is it helpful or is there some opportunity for growth? Because what we know when it comes to taking care of ourselves is it's about action, is about taking deliberate, repeated action. Good intentions are simply not enough. We have to have a plan and make it happen. That is why I have created the School of Wellbeing podcast to invite you to think about different things, to share conversations with your colleagues, with your friends, with your families, and really start to get curious about the choices that you're making and how those choices are impacting the way that you feel and function. So that's why at the end of each conversation, I'm going to be asking you two questions to think about. Number one, from this conversation, what is one thing you want to remember? What is your pearl, as my mum would say? So from listening to this conversation, what is the seed that has been planted with you today? And number two, what is one action you can take in the next 24 hours to improve your well-being? So from listening to all of those practical skills from Christy, what can you do to improve your well-being? To keep in the loop with the latest news, special announcements and teacher-proof ways to feel good and live well, subscribe to our well-loved Thought of the Week, your free dose of wellbeing education and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Sign up now by visiting openmindeducation.com 
All the links from today's episode will be in the show notes. Thank you for listening to an episode of the School of Wellbeing. This episode was proudly brought to you by Open Mind Education. Open Mind Education is committed to sharing wellbeing education that makes sense. To learn more, visit the website openmindeducation.com. There you can sign up for the free five-step energy guide to help boost your energy so you can better navigate the ups and downs of life. Thank you for listening and I look forward to sharing more lessons in the School of Wellbeing next week.